Hello, this is Martin McKay from the Network Security Podcast. And this is Chris John Riley from the Eurotrash Security Podcast. You're listening to the official podcast for the 26th Annual FIRST Conference, the 22nd through the 27th of June 2014 in Boston, Massachusetts. And now we join our interviewing program. This time on the show, we're lucky enough to be talking to Art Mannion from the CERT division at the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. Welcome to the show, Art. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here. So for people who don't know much about the, the SORT Coordination Center and, and what uh, what you guys do, can you briefly just dis- discuss what, what you guys do over there? So my role, uh, I'm a member of the vulnerability analysis team and probably the most relevant piece of work uh, that we do that, that the first community would know about would be the private coordination and disclosure of vulnerability reports. So security researchers out on the internet will will discover a vulnerability and depending on how the disclosure process goes, they may enlist our help to identify and reach the vendor or vendors, negotiate a disclosure date, mediate any any difficulties between the researcher and the vendor, and ultimately publish an advisory and, and try to get you know fixed software out there. Well, I guess that puts you in a, in a perfect situation to, to discuss what you're going to be presenting about at the upcoming FIRST conference, which is a, a survey of vulnerability markets. How did that uh, research come about? What was it that really inspired you to, to do the research? Doing the that day-to-day operational coordination work I described, we, you know, the analysts here notice notice trends and changes and shifts uh, in, in in what's going on, and it seemed pretty clear that there were more and more organizations paying for vulnerability information, um, specifically paying for non-public or what sometimes is called zero-day vulnerability information. So we thought instead of you know just us sort of thinking we were seeing a trend, we decided to actually try to measure it, and that resulted in this survey of uh, vulnerability markets. Now, I guess when, when people think about vulnerability markets, the, the two things to spring to mind, one being that the private market where companies or even nation states to some extent are purchasing vulnerabilities to keep them in their own private hoard. Uh, and then you get the flip side of it, which is more that the public sales, which are um, selling it to, to people who are ultimately then, for example, ZDI are going to give it to the vendor right. and then say, the ZDI initiative is so wonderful. We've protected you from this for the last six months, but you didn't even know about it. Right. Did, did you did you see anything other than those two? Or do they, is that really where most of the vulnerability markets fall? Yeah, the again we this is you know, this survey is, is fully based on publicly attainable information. Um and there there were, as you sort of described, two two major, I guess, purchasers, groups of purchasers. We we sort of define them as first and third party. The third party are are more of a broker. So an organization, um ZDI, tipping point is a good example. Um iDefense was in this market for a while. Organizations that would buy a vulnerability potentially put in detection into their product, but ultimately report with it to report to the vendor and have the have the vulnerability addressed. Or even third party brokers who, you know, purchase a vulnerability and potentially sell it somewhere else and I would assume make make some profit on the exchange. You know, they're they're in business sort of for themselves and the vulnerability information is is a is a commodity or a product that they're using. The first party group would be actual software vendors and I guess bug bounty is the is the term that would identify you know the first party vendor. 
So we sort of noticed over over time there was an initial wave of the third party vendor uh, third party brokers, but more recently a lot more vendors have been getting into the market offering offering bounties for their own software. We've seen a, an incredible increase in the, in the last couple of years when it comes to bug bounties. I know a prime example was at last year's first conference, uh, Microsoft announced their limited move into the bug bounty area where they were specifically offering bounties for very specific and targeted issues. But mm-hmm. bug bounties have increased exponentially over the last year. Have you, have you seen a similar increase and do you think that's going to continue? Well, having actually done the survey and the, the data we have you know, shows that classic sort of... Uh, exponential looking curve I'm not sure how you know how far that curve would continue we don't know yet I'm, I might expect it to level off some there's a finite number of, of software vendors who might want to offer bounties perhaps so I'm not sure it will continue you know the, the sort of the current growth rate um, but you know as you mentioned we've seen Microsoft Google you know major software vendors are in this space now and the you know the terms under which a bug bounty is awarded are being defined very carefully. You mentioned this as well. Microsoft has sort of a limited, you know, will accept bounties for I think IE 11 beta was was an offer, and that may that may be a closed offer at this point. Google has specific specific constraints as well. I think their important web properties and uh, the Chrome browser are in in scope for bounties. Some other products are, are out of scope. Um, so we are seeing. You know, more and more vendors, first party offering offering bounties, but it looks like there's also a, a practice of carefully scoping what sorts of vulnerabilities and what sorts of software are awardable or uh, subject to a bounty. I can imagine there, there being a lot of money in it for, for these companies if they just say, yes, anything that we own, we will pay you for the vulnerabilities, they could, they could be facing a, a huge bill. Yes, and we've had some some conversations uh, with with different vendors, um, and there's you know there's the cost of certainly the awards for the bug bounties, but there's also the cost of operating the program. You know, if if I, for instance, had a web a web property I was offering a bounty for, uh, it's possible that enterprising security researchers would, you know, throw a web vulnerability scanner at my site or my application or my property, and just send me the results. And I need you know I need staff to handle these reports, figure out which ones are in scope, possibly enter a discussion with the researcher, sift through which ones are just, you know, sort of just the uh, uh, output of a, of a web scanner versus a true finding. So there's administrative overhead as well that adds to the, the cost of the program. You know, we, we, we've heard a discussion from, again, a couple of vendors we've, we've had present in a couple of private forums, and we've had some discussions with them. I believe that there's a financial, you know, benefit here. The, the argument would be that it is a cost savings for a software vendor to offer the bounty and pay the bounty and operate the program because they're, in a sense, crowdsourcing you know, security quality assurance testing. And probably also they're generating goodwill with the, the research community. And it's probably cheaper to pay for a bounty than to, in some cases, uh, have a bug become public, sort of a zero-day public disclosure and then have to fix the bug in an emergency fashion, I would imagine that's more costly than fixing it at a regular you know, release cycle. When it comes down to, to the, the costs, I'm guessing there's a, there's a large variation in costs between companies, for example, doing a small bug bounty where they just have a single website and companies such as ZDI or other secret, more secretive um, vulnerability dealers who are purchasing zero days in Internet Explorer or, or whatever other browser. Have you seen a, a large degree in variation of costs? And, and was that 
hard to get that get at the figures because I can't imagine they're going to want to share that kind of information very easily. Right, and there's there's certainly a variety of of findings there. Overall, one of our goals in the research in the survey was to try to figure out pricing information and be able to make some statements about it. Probably <laughs> the only statement I can make is there's a lot of variability uh, and it was difficult to find pricing information, at least in all cases. Some of the first party bug bounties, the vendors, they provide very clear information or at least a range and it's on a website somewhere, very easy to find. One of the first offerings we found was for DJB DNS from Dan Bernstein and I think it was might have been $500 and that was you know actually a, a relatively old in our in our survey um, first party bug bounty third party uh, brokers are certainly less forthcoming with the awards that they pay and again that makes it makes sense sort of economically you don't want to give up your pricing information uh, if you're trying to sort of turn around and and you know resell the information I'm looking through our, our our survey here quickly I see offers for bitcoins for payment I see ranges in the hundreds of dollars I see thousands. There are anecdotal, you know, r- rumor sort of evidence of things in the up to the millions of dollars ranges, but it's hard to validate these prices and it's hard to really get, you know, statistical kinds of data. It's mostly a website here, a story here, a post here that we may or may not be able to trust. So it's, it's hard to get good pricing information. And I think that that's kind of true across the board, unless you're probably involved in this market directly. I don't know how, we, we did not solve the problem of how to obtain pricing information. Let me put it that way. Now, I know you touched on this a little bit earlier on, but do you see uh, the increase of bug bounties and vulnerability markets? Um, does that have a direct correlated effect on how much researchers are actually advising through things like full disclosure or, or other mailing lists? Are they tending to, to kind of not focus so much on websites or applications that don't have a bug bounty and they're, they're going over to, to things that have a bug bounty? Or don't you think that's going to have an overall effect on, on public releases of information? Well, I don't think we were able to, to measure that at this point, but it was one of the you know major sort of questions that came up. And we've, we've sort of tried to look at our, our own data. As I mentioned earlier, our operational work here is that researchers report to, to CERT sometimes. So we sort of tried to look at, at, at our, had our reports changed over the time of growth of the vulnerability markets. The answer, sadly, is inconclusive, but th- these markets aren't you know, they, they aren't just uh, sort of trivial little toy attempts. These are, these are, there are real payments, there are real awards going on. And from all the evidence we've collected, researchers do submit vulnerabilities to, for, for, for payment. Uh, there's sort of been a shift from, you know, some years ago, sort of hobbyists or bragging rights or the fame generated by, you know, dropping a zero day or finding a cool vulnerability and, you know, getting your count on, on bug tracker full disclosure. Today, you know, the savvy researcher would be probably selling that that same vulnerability. So one of the questions we're looking at is we look sort of at, at sort of public policy level things sometimes or, you know, social good. Is it better for vendors to be paying for these bounties and third-party brokers and getting vulnerabilities sort of off the, off the market and fixed at, at the prices that, that are being paid? Or is it better that things are handled uh, without a bounty, you know, does the bounty encourage more reporting and sort of safer reporting as opposed to the, it's an emergency because it's now public and everyone is surprised or it, it turned up in an exploit in the wild, which is of course damaging. I don't know yet, but that's probably one of our sort of most interesting sort of future questions to try to pay attention to. 
one of the things that, that does spring to mind is the increase in bug bounties and obviously the associated non-disclosure agreements that some companies have with their bug bounties where they insist that if a researcher is reporting something that they will not then talk about that bug at any point in the future. Do you think that breeds a, a culture of hiding the issues, not talking about things and maybe even silent patching specific issues? Do you think bug bounties are going to cause that to become more prevalent? It's possible. We did try to look in some to some degree at uh, sort of the disclosure arrangements or the, sorry, the well, the disclosure agreement or the non-disclosure agreement related to the sale of a bug or the sale of a vulnerability. And at least it's not consistently, you know, keep quiet after this thing is fixed. So there are both both first and third party payers who will allow the, the researcher to publish something after the after the bug bug has been fixed or reported or handled according to the um, the payer's wishes. On the other hand, there are some that are very likely you know, non-disclosure ever. We generally at CERT do not like the silent failure uh, sort of problem where, you know, if there's a bug and it's patched and let's say, for instance, all of the users of that software get the patch and apply it. So the, the bug is literally eliminated. That's very good and that's a good outcome and we would support that. But the, the silent failure means that potentially someone else would not learn from the whatever that bug was or that error or someone, you know, making uh, making a software purchasing decision would not know that that vendor had had a bug and fixed it. Um, and it's not simply a matter of the vendor with more bugs is a is a less attractive, you know, uh, vendor. But personally, what I would want to see is a vendor that demonstrates that they are fixing bugs and documenting when they are fixed. That indicates to me a responsive responsive process, a responsive vendor. Everybody's got bugs. The question is, how do you handle them? And that's kind of the more important question than do you fix them quietly and, and, and hide it all away very well. Well, I guess to, to, to bring this to a close, where, where do you really see the vulnerability markets going over the next 12 months? Could, could you gather any information over the research that you've done to be able to say over the next 12 months, certain things are going to happen, it's going to grow, it's going to shrink? Or is that very hard from the information you have? I certain, certainly couldn't say anything you know, conclusively, or there, there, we have no, you know, I could follow that, our, our uh, exponential looking curve off the top of the chart, but my guess would be, you know, more, certainly more first party bug bounties will come out. It may not be a high level of growth, but I would expect to see, you know, some moderate number of, of vendors offering, offering bounties. That's about the best I could guess, I think, at this point. Uh, there definitely has been a trend. We might be at the peak of the bubble. We might be sort of at the the first part of it, we might be just after it. Uh, I don't think we're at the tail yet, and we're not at the very beginning, certainly. But I expect to see more of this. And what I'm really interested in seeing is is um, can we measure you know the effects of the bounties on on other aspects of coordination and disclosure? And that that's going to be tricky to sort out, but something we're going to be trying to look at over the next 12 months. So so this is more of an ongoing research. This is not something you're you're finalized already. It's going to be something you're going to be continuing on in the future. I, I think this definitely needs to continue. As it, again the the trend is not over. It's still evolving. There's still activity. So it's not so much going to be looking back as sort of trying to measure every so often what's changed. And again, can we can we say that bug bounties are having the following benefits or are adding costs to you know social good and the overall security of the internet? Great. Well, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us. It's a very interesting topic, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the presentation. And I uh, hope to see you in Boston. Yeah, I hope to see you there, and thank you for the time. Computer 
This is Chris John Riley from the Eurotrash Security Podcast. And this is Martin McKay from the Network Security Podcast. You've been listening to the official first podcast for the 26th annual FIRST conference, June 22nd to the June 27th in Boston, Massachusetts. You can find out more at www.first.org. Thank you and goodbye, folks. Shut down secrets.